This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Equity Mates! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down the barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. At the start of the year, you threw the gauntlet down and you said you want to interview all of the ASX 200 CEOs, and we're slowly making our way down the list. Uh, But the CEO that we're speaking to today probably runs one of the more discussed companies in the Equity Mates community. Uh, Definitely definitely one that generates a lot of conversations. So I'm really excited to uh, get stuck into this one today. Absolutely. Well, I don't think that I'm overstating things to say that uh, the pandemic has really impacted everyone's life in many ways, but some industries, individuals and companies have certainly bore the brunt of this more than others. So Today, we're talking to a managing director who is definitely in that camp, and uh, that is John Gusich is uh, our guest today. He's certainly qualified to speak about the effect of coronavirus on the travel industry, and that is because he is managing director of Webjet. He was first appointed to his position in February 2011, but uh, before that, John was previously managing director Asia Pacific for GTA and formerly managing director of the travel port business group Pacific Region. Based in Tokyo, Japan, he was responsible for the Galileo and GTA brands in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Korea and Indonesia. And previous to that, John was managing director at Galileo South Pacific and Flareview Travel. So, John, welcome to Equity Mates. Well, I am just... Dis- Delighted to be here. You know, they told me that I was going to be interviewed by uh, two young Turks, but now that I can see you on the screen, you don't look that young. You must have had a really hard life based on your age, (laughs) what what I'm looking at. My hairline makes me look a lot older than I am. (laughs) Anyway, delighted to be here. So thank you very much. And um, clearly on your ASX 200 list of CEOs you want to interview, you've got to W. So well done. Exactly. <laughs> we're, closing, we're closing it out. We're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> but look, John, as uh, as Bryce said, uh, 
probably one of the most affected uh, companies by the pandemic, Webjet. Uh, so yep. we want to hear about that today. But I guess we want to have a conversation that's broader than than COVID and the pandemic. We want to hear about um, you know your time at Webjet and what what you see the future holding for the company. But before we do, we always like to start these interviews with the same question, and that is to hear their company leader describe their company in their own words. So to kick us off today, uh, what is Webjet? Uh, Webjet is a digital travel business, and uh, we are uh, a business that sells uh, travel product to consumers and it sells to intermediaries. So uh, the vast majority of people in your community will know us because we've got the market-leading online travel agency site, webjet.com.au, and it gets a bit tricky when uh, the sticker is Webjet, but you do a lot more than what people perceive Webjet to do. So on top of our OTA business in Australia, we have one in New Zealand, uh, Online Republic, and we have a completely different business where we provide hotel rooms to other travel businesses. So we're an intermediary in the hotel travel space. And in that business, it's actually bigger than the Webjet business and it's global by nature. So in the old days, I used to just describe us as a group of humble travel agents trying to take over the world. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's probably the most apt way of describing what we're trying to do. And is that uh, intermediary business uh, web beds? It's web beds, correct. That's the web beds business. So uh, that, that business uh, generates uh, 99% of its uh, TTV and revenue outside of Australia. And pre-COVID was more profitable than the, the Webjet business. And the Webjet business is a, is a very profitable business in its own right. So Webjet was founded in 1998 and really pioneered the online travel industry here in Australia. You joined the business in 2003, correct me if I am wrong, but um, what, what are some of the, I guess, major changes that you've seen at industry level and, and business level within that time? You know, if, if I take uh, five-year blocks uh, of time to, 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 to put into context where we sit in the travel ecosystem, the, the first five years, um, Webjet was an undercapitalized shoestring operation that uh, uh, was trying to, to compete against uh, a bunch of guys who had uh, deeper pockets. It was the dot-com boom, and lots of people were investing in uh, crazy ideas in the internet. And the the founder of Webjet, a guy called David Clark, who um, is truly an extraordinary uh, individual, and you know, against all odds, built the most successful online travel agency business in Australasia, primarily because. Even at that time, he had a really clear identity about what was required to be successful. The first one is to have to solve a problem. You know, the most basic, uh, the most basic uh, need of all: solve a problem for for consumers. And he built that by building uh, a really clever 
interface where you could combine one-way fares, and we still do it to this day, many, many years later, better than anybody else. And so the first five years was trying to survive, and the next five years was building on that concept. The second that was important to, to the evolution of the OTA business, and this this was, let, let me think about this. If I go back 15 years, you guys were probably in primary school. So when you guys were in primary school <laughs> and we were, um, we were thinking about competition, and you guys were thinking about going from short pants to long pants. Um, <laughs> we we, um, we 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 went. We were counter counter cyclical to what the current orthodoxy is. The way people thought about uh, winning consumers in the online world. The the thinking at the time was you needed to own the last click, which is one of the most stupid concepts of all time. Which you know, when 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 the history of the world is written, it'll be in the top ten dumb ideas, because what it does is basically makes you a uh, hostage to what's become Google, and um, and that and internet marketing is exclusively the domain of search and 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 paid advertising through through that particular channel. And Webjet went a very different route. We we decided to build a brand. And to build a brand, you know, we used to think about ourselves as we're a online business uh, and we operate on the internet, but our, our, our consumers operate in the real world and we'll communicate to them in the real world. So we did that by um, doing uh, TV ads. We, we did some sports sponsorship for a period of time. We've done outdoor advertising and the like. So it's it's to communicate a message that enabled people to continue to come back to us without having to repurchase their business every single time by using Google as the exclusive meeting. And for many, many years, I'll say the first 15 years of the, of the online travel agency uh, environment globally, everybody uh, just jacked up the prices for Google, which is good for them great business and diminish the margin opportunity for them. And, and we didn't, and we went a, a different route. And as a consequence of all of that, we, we got to the market leading position and our marketing costs compared to every other online travel agency in the world are lower than theirs. And our overall level of profitability for our OTA business is, is much higher than any others. So you mentioned earlier that we, Create a little bit of debate on your uh, through your uh, communication vehicle. We we do do that because we we don't follow the norms of many of the other more established uh, travel businesses, and we're not we're we're quite happy to flout convention because we can see the financial justification for going down the the routes that we have, and it may or may not be uh, acceptable or popular with with the the. the various crowds, but that's never been our thinking. Our thinking has always been, you know, what, what is the best outcome for our shareholders? What is the best outcome for our stakeholders? What's the best outcome and environment we can provide our employee base? And if you combine all of that, you, you, you'll work out what uh, is compelling and gives you a, a growth profile. And as much debate as there can be about Webjet, there's certainly no debate that we have, haven't been able to deliver on a growth profile with the exception of uh, what's happened in the last 18 months. We've been one of the fastest growing stocks in the Australian Stock Exchange. And, you know, to put it into, into context, and this will really wind up some of your, uh, your, your, the people who view this, you could have bought us at four cents and you could have sold us $17. So that's not a bad return <laughs> by anybody stretch. No, that that is not bad at all. I mean, all people need to do is zoom out and look at the 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 you know the historic chart for Webjet to see the pretty incredible journey 
it's it's been on. And I think when we talk about um, you know, the controversy and the debate in the equity mates community, it, it's really all been centered around COVID. I think those that were bullish on reopening have spoken about three stocks more than anyone else: Sydney Airport, Qantas, and Webjet. And um, you know, your every plan that you had, everything that uh, you were hoping to do, got really thrown out the window at the start of 2020 um, in in a pretty you know unique black swan moment. Can you take us into the room uh, in those early days of 2020? What um. You know what? What was it like there? Um, with I guess a lot of uncertainty and probably incomplete information. And how did you try and manage your team through those uh, early days of the pandemic? You know, I'll, I'll answer that, but I might just go to the the first part of the the, the introduction to the question, which is something that I do occasionally see because obviously, you know, I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, thinking about the share price on a, on a daily basis. I don't look at it, you know, during the day. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, it's not important in the short term uh, because there are, there are much bigger structural and, and environmental elements at play that, that we need to think about. So whether we reopen, and, and we can discuss this in more detail later, whether we reopen uh, and, and the market reopens in, in July of... Uh, 21, October of 21, April of 22, November of 22, doesn't really matter. What does matter is what's the destiny of the business going to be when the world reverts to a more normalised environment? And a more normalised environment will be radically different to what existed in 2019, but there will be a more normalised environment. Travel will become uh mainstream, popular and compelling as it's always been throughout history. Um, it's not going to change as a consequence of what's happened in the last two years, but the, the shape and nature of travel will change dramatically and we are spending a lot of time in our business, which I'm sure we'll discuss shortly, uh, thinking about how we can make our business more compelling, more profitable, faster growing and bigger than it than it is. And, you know, the, the occasional commentary I do see is, oh, my God, you know, I'm lining up this stock versus this stock and this one's going to open one week before this one and I predict this one's going to do something uh, five weeks before that one. It's, it's, it's all just noise in, in, in the echo chamber because the reality is, and, and I'm assuming your, your and listenership uh, are, are taking your view beyond trading on a daily basis and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're trying to build financial wealth for the long term it's, and, and it's buying a, a stock that you think has a, a viable future. And we'll cover that in a second. But to go back to the, the, the moment of crisis, it was an extraordinary turnaround for us and we were unfortunately probably more impacted than just about any other travel business in, in well in Australia and, and one of the most impacted globally because we were, we were caught in a um, in a trap that we would never have envisaged ourselves we we, we would we would sit on and, and this is the irony of uh, of listening to the crowd we would sit on more than $100 million of cash, of free cash in our business. And we would have analysts and some of our investors, they would, you know, say, you've got a lazy balance sheet, you're sitting on too much cash, you need to uh, either give it back to investors through a special dividend or you need to uh, continue to, to make acquisitions and, and lower your cash reserves. We, we had $100 million. Now, the, the what what happened when the the pandemic hit is we had a cost base of nearly 
$35 million. And when your revenues go from, let's say, you know, we're making, you know, we're turning over close to $4 billion and we're making proxy 10% in revenues. And so you're going, okay, we're making um, a, a shed load more cash, than, sorry, a shed load more revenue on a monthly basis than our costs. And then you see the, 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 that go to zero. So it only takes one or two months before you're, you're technically uh, running out of cash. But we had a, a, compi- a compounding element to that, which was we had a working capital cycle where we pay people after we receive uh, the money from our, our customers. And that was the, the reason we built up the bank. So as that unwinds, um, the, the cash goes out of your business at an even faster rate. So we were we were caught in a trap and it was one of the reasons that we were one of the first and 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 it was one of the reasons that our share price was savaged as as much as it was at the time and it's one of the reasons that we went to the market and we recapitalized the business at, at, a, at a rate that you know you could never have envisaged I, the, the, you know in a, in a million hypotheticals that we would run in our business we never go will our revenues go to zero will our cost base remain the same and will our working capital unwind happen and will people who owe us money stiff us to the tune of nearly 50 million which is what happened would you put that scenario you'd say you'd shoot yourself before you'd uh, before that possibility well I'm still alive but the gunshot must have missed <laughs> my head or something because uh, <laughs> It, it, it was it was a reality of what we found ourselves and what we did do, and it was remarkable because in February, late February of or let's say the third week of February, I forget the date now of 2020, we released our half year results, which were record results, and we were only just being asked the, you know some cursory questions around um, what do you think this COVID thing is going to do for your business and. Four weeks later, we were in a full-blown crisis of the, of the nature I've just described for all, for all the reasons I've just described it. So what happened? I can, I can tell you that, you know, if you ever want to have, uh, if you ever need and, and see a justification for having a great relationship with your board and your chairman, it's when a crisis occurs like that. So in essence, I called up, uh, um, as I mentioned to you guys off camera before we start, I'm normally based in Palma, Mallorca, where I have been for the last five years. And I call up my chairman and I say, uh, Roger, we've got this, uh, yeah, this impending crisis. This is what's going to look like. Yeah, he's based in New Zealand. I'm in Palmer. I'm getting on a plane tonight. You need to, to get on a plane. We need to go see some investment bankers and we need to talk about how we can restructure the business because we're going to run out of money. And, uh, you know, the, the, the last 23 years of phenomenal success is going to be wiped out in the next month if we don't do something. So I'll just say in, in, a, in a summarized position, you know, what is it like for the organization? Um, it's all about survival and survival is driven by the chairman, myself, our CFO, and between the three of us probably, you know, doing something that uh, you haven't done since you're at university, which is pull all-nighters about, uh, you, know, you know, for about 10 days in a row to you, you, you're literally working on fumes. You, I was making calls and pitching, pitching the, the business to Americans and Europeans and, and the Asians and, and the Australian investment community to, to try and uh, drum up support because we're in the middle of, a, of the start of a pandemic and, and people are thinking about what does, what does, what does Armageddon look like and, and is this business 
going to survive and is it worth saving? So you have to convince people that, uh, that that's the place. So it was all externally focused for that period, the, the last couple of weeks of, of, uh, of March of 2020. And then we successfully raised capital roughly on the, the 1st of April uh, 2020. And at that point, I still remember it to this day, um, you know, we had uh, the party of all parties to celebrate the fact that we survived and uh, in lockdown, of course, you know, appropriate party in lockdown. I don't know what that means, but it uh, looked like a, an old-fashioned party in my eyes. Um, and then um, the next day, called the senior management together and and what's become, I think, uh, you know, I wasn't suggesting we invented this, but we said, look, We've had a near-death experience. We now have enough cash that's going to enable us to survive. We can't waste the crisis. We need to we need to reconstruct the the business to ensure that in a recovery, we can do more with less, and we can improve our margins and continue the uh, the growth rate. And we're at the start of that journey, even though it's uh, another fifteen months later. Pretty fascinating uh, insight there, there, John. I, I just want to comment on something you mentioned right at the top there, which was um, the fact that you're not uh, too concerned and looking at the share price day in and day out, and you've got that long-term view um, and, I guess, confidence that what you're doing, the share price will play out over a long period of time. And it's just a good reminder for our audience as well that when you know companies that you're invested in, the stock price is moving up and down day to day, you just got to remember that the CEOs of these companies are, are really – having that long-term view and and I guess you should equally have that long-term view when it comes to investing in companies like this. So um, just a nice reminder for our audience. Um, before we move on, Ren and I were both working in retail uh, at the time of COVID and of course that drastically changed business the, the businesses and brought forward a lot of um, parts of the business that perhaps weren't going to come to fruition sort of until five years down the track sort of thing, um, e- e-commerce particularly. Has there anything has anything within Webjet um, drastically changed that you weren't anticipating to change at this point in time? And and have you taken the opportunity to, I guess, try things that you otherwise probably wouldn't have? So we will um, on the on the Webjet OTA business, the the competitive landscape has changed dramatically. So you you make a, 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 a the the appropriate point that in the retail in the physical retail environment, the, the travel industry has been decimated. So you've got our largest competitor who's shut and and has signaled to the market in Flight Centre that the, half their stores that uh, they've had open will no longer be open under any circumstance. So that's a dramatic shift in the um, the competitive nature of our of our industry. And the second largest group, the Hello World Group which is primarily a franchise model, we know that many of them have, and they sell international travel. So in an environment where international travel is against the law in Australia, so you uh, you don't have that market opportunity. So you'd imagine that many of those competitors have been substantially weakened in the either the physical presence that they have or their ability to to invest in their businesses. So in, in, a, in, in and you asked me quite... Uh, Quite appropriately, up front, you know, in the first question, you know, describe your business. We're a digital travel business, so what have we done? We've invested in in the the the, the, the continued evolution of our, our digital transformation as as an organisation. So, our focus um, it has been on 
on the consumer side, the Webjet side of ensuring that we have the most compelling uh, content and fulfills our premise, which has always been convenience and choice. So what, that's why consumers come to Webjet uh, as the OTA and, and we, we continue to work on that. And on our Webbeds B2B business, our focus has been, and, and you know, life, life's all about having a great slogan. Yours is equity mates. Mine, uh, mine is, uh, you know, mine's a little bit more, uh, 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 a little bit more academic. Mine's uh, using Charles Darwin. So we're, we've got a, a Darwin-esque approach around survival of the fittest. And in that, uh, in our, in our project Darwin, the, the process is how do I take a third of my cost base out and not have to ever replace it based on scale. And our thinking, which uh, I won't get too technical for, for your guys, but the way our the way we record uh, our financials are as follows. We have something called TTV, which is total transaction value, and that's the total cost, uh, the total uh, element that we sell. And the vast majority of that is not ours because we, we, uh, we only have... The, the, the revenue components. So if we sell a hotel room, we don't own all the revenue for the hotel room. Roughly 92 cents in the 100 cents goes back to to, to the hotel person that uh, we bought the hotel off. So we get 8 cents in the dollar of, of, of every dollar. And that's been our, uh, you know, when I started the Webbeds business back in 2013, um, I used to tell investors that the thematic is 853. 8% revenue, 5% cost, 3% EBITDA margin. That, that's the, uh, the business. And then we exceeded that in 2000. We, we were getting trajectory in that 2018. So we changed the, uh, the numbers to 844. So, again, to remind everyone, 8, 8% of our uh, uh, revenue and 4% of our cost gives you 4% EBITDA, which is still a great business. It's a 50% EBITDA margin business at that level. So our new edict and the new uh, and everything we've worked on the last fifteen months has been around eight three five eight percent revenue, three percent cost, five percent uh, EBITDA margin, five percent EBITDA, and that gives you a sixty two percent EBITDA margin. That's a, a great business if we can get to that. So that's that's what we've been uh, working towards, and we're um, well on the way to, uh, to to being able to when the business gets to scale to be able to deliver that. Jeez, that's pretty incredible. I think a lot of uh, your fellow CEOs would kill for a 62% EBITDA margin. Bryce and I came from Coles and Woolies, respectively, where we lived on 3% profit margins in the retail game. <laughs> so you've, you've done well there. I, I guess this will this will probably be the last question about share price. Uh, we, when we we're having a look at Webjet, we did notice that it's one of the most shorted shares on the ASX. I think 11% of the float is short. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of COVID-related reasons to that. I guess, uh, how do you think about that? And do you have a message for the short sellers? This is your chance <laughs> to speak to them directly. <laughs> short squeeze. Short squeeze. Hi, short sellers. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, 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 first, uh, the first point is, I'll, I'll say this as as if I know this for a fact, but... I would say this with 99% confidence, 99.9% confidence. The, the, the short thematic for Webjet was substantially greater um, 15 months ago than it is today 
for the following reason. Even though the number at a high level doesn't look dramatically different, because we were a lot higher 15 months ago. We were around uh, the mid-teens at, at one point. And we're now, let's call it 10% for the sake of simplicity. We raised a convertible note. And when we raised a convertible note, a significant number of those investors hedge their position in Webjet. So they take out a short contract for Webjet. So even though the, the number looks um, disproportionately high and we're in the top five or 10, I don't check that again on more than a once a month basis because I don't care. Um, so let's say we're in the top five of shorted stocks. Around about half of them are technical shorts. They're not betting on us uh, declining in shareholder value. They're betting on us because they've got a convertible note as part of the, the way that they operate that convertible note. And roughly one third of the, the convertible note holders hedge their position and they take out a short. So if you eliminate that element of the, the short, the, the underlying short is closer to five or six or seven percent, or which is um, doesn't put us in the top five and we wouldn't be in the spotlight for that uh, particular reason. But, you know, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll use this as, as, as a way we think about our business and I'll come back to your question in a second. But the convertible note for us, we thought was an innovative solution of a stock that we knew had plenty of upside and we didn't want to give it away by diluting it even further by putting out notes which we had, you know, 25 30% conversion premiums higher than the, than the existing share price at the time. And we were the first of the Australian Stock Exchange 200 that you're going to talk to to, uh, to do that. And, um, and, we, and we were the first uh, convertible note issuance in about four or five years or six or seven years. I forget what it is, but it was the first one for a long time. And, and since we've done it, I think three or four other uh, ASX 200 companies have, uh, have also put in place convertible notes. So we were happy to be innovative, but we knew there would be um, an increase in shorts as a consequence of all of that. So the overall true shorting of our position is substantially less than what it was. I'm saying it's about a third of what it was uh, 15 months ago. And, you know, if you don't have a short, then nobody's interested. So, you know, in, in the words of uh, whoever it was, I don't know, Zsa, Zsa Gabor, it's better for them to be talking about you than not talking about you, honey. So uh, good luck. I, I wake up every morning thinking of how I can, uh, you know, crush and destroy them, and we will. It takes time. It's, it's, it's Time solves all of these issues for us because we've got and we have had and we will have a continued record of superior performance. I have undoubted faith in the team that we've got, the business models we've got, and the economics that we've got. And time will take care of these guys. I feel sorry for them, but, you know, that's why that's why they don't live in the big houses on the big streets. That's why they're shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, John, before we um, move to talking about growth and competition, just a final one um, that's really come through when we asked our community if they had any questions. So we've kind of all, all wrapped it up into one here. Um, Webjet's fortunes are obviously tied to a lot of factors outside your control, border closures, vaccine rollout, um, you know, a lot of those, uh, I guess, um, factors that lead to, to travel. So how do you actually plan for the future and manage through such uncertainty? I mean, at the time of rec recording now, late July, Sydney's obviously going into a lockdown, other parts of Australia as well. So how do you yeah, manage this uncertainty? Well, the, the lockdown situation, as difficult it is and as late as it is in this cycle for Sydney, is is 
um, relatively speaking, uh, a light touch. I mentioned earlier that I'm normally based in Palma, Mallorca. You know, uh, the guys in our Spanish office were in lockdown for five months. Um, the guys in our UK um, office were in lockdown, various states of lockdown for the, the whole of winter. Um, so it's a little bit, um, and you can imagine, right, I'm, I'm painting the picture of a little pokey flat in uh, in London in the middle of winter being locked down as opposed to glorious Sydney where even uh, in the middle of winter it's a benign, lovely uh, uh, environment to be living in. So um, relatively speaking, we've, we've had lots of experience um, in, uh, in our business and, you know, uh, we, we have even today after all the cost takeout and that we've had in our business, we still have 1,600 employees globally and 1,450 of them are not in Australia. So um, we, we, we think about it, obviously, and, and manage it on, on, a, on, on a very localised basis. And what's been an incredibly difficult 15 months, getting people engaged and keeping people engaged and, and getting them to, to, to view the longer term has been a significant challenge and ensuring that you're providing the, the right level of messaging, which is a little bit different to what I'm providing for you guys. But at the end of the day, you've got to give people a reason to believe and they've got to, they've got to want to come into work. And, and I'm a, 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 I believe with every fibre of my body that um, if you communicate appropriately and give people the right motivations, and they give that extra ten percent. That that's that's the difference between success and failure. You, 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 everyone can turn up to work and and collect a paycheck, but turning up to work, collecting a check, and committing, and wanting to to, to drive an outcome that you're part of. And, you know, we're not so self-absorbed at the management team to think that this is exclusively our doing. So, you know, when I when I do town halls where I talk to the, the various um, parts of our business, in particular in the days when I could do it face-to-face, you know, I, I, I would, you know, randomly say, me, is anyone a shareholder? What, what, what's your views on, on where we're going? How, how do you think we're, we're, we're traveling? What, what else can we do better? And it's remarkable the the feedback that you get, but also it's remarkable the engagement that we've had over that uh, that period of time. And, you know, there's some people who have been with us, you know, on, on the B2C business for you know, 20 years, and there's some people on, on the B2B business that have been with us for seven or eight years, and they're remarkably invested, and they become shareholders, and they they, 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 they see they see the value in what we're trying to do, and, 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 and are committed. And, you know, there's there's plenty of people who who come to get the the check as well, but we 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 certainly value and encourage people to to contribute with you know everything they've got. So they've got a sense of meaning. It's not just coming here to to, to make money. It's coming here to take the business from an ideation through to a to an execution and 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 the journey along the way and 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 the cut and thrust of competition which we love I, you know i love uh, rubbing up and smacking into uh, smacking into our competitors metaphorically smacking into them you know <laughs> like like you're on a football field sort of just barging through sort of thing well, it's good that you've mentioned your competitors there John because uh, i feel like we've asked you enough about covid would love to uh, talk about you know webjet beyond covid in- including how you think you uh 
bump up against your competitors. Uh, but before we do, uh, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, John, I mentioned uh, before the break there that we want to now talk, you know, beyond COVID and you mentioned the competitive landscape and there's a lot out there, you know, the the flight centers uh, in Australia, but there's a lot of, you know, sort of global online players, Expedia, Skyscanner, Booking.com. How do you think about Webjet in the competitive landscape and uh, what do you think your competitive advantages are? Uh, of, of all the questions you try to distill to uh, a pithy answer, this is the most difficult because my natural inclination would be bleeped out on your uh, on your kid friendly. Uh, <laughs> hey, we've got a good producer. If you want to swear, we can bleep. <laughs> I'd like to think that I still, even at my ripe old age, I've got the ability to learn new tricks, and one of them is not to swear as much as I have historically. So I'm not going to start today. If I do, it's a bad day. Um, so I think about it in two, in, in two contexts. I think about it in the landscapes in which we compete rather than broadly, and then I'll, I'll come back to a thematic that we have in our investment thesis. So in the first one, in the Australian OTA environment, I think about what our competitors have been able to do historically, which is try to compete on price. And, and then I think about what we can do to combat that. And for us, and, and you raise the, the spectre of the the oligopoly power of bookings and Expedia. So it makes it a, a very difficult environment when you've got such a structural advantage and you've been able to put in lockstep the, the hotel ecosystem of distribution to consumers on a global basis and it's become very heavily concentrated in the hands of, uh, of two players. So as a consequence, we're, we, we, we try to avoid front a uh, front on collision with with something that's uh, an, an immovable object and look at how do we compete without engaging in in, in a war where they've got uh, substantial more resources than us or, or sorry in a battle rather where they've got substantial more resources than us and can hurt us so to that extent where we view our competitive scenario in the OTA business prim- primarily a flight space business 
and primarily about convenience and choice and, and how do we extend our lead in that context. That, that's as broad base as, as, uh, as I'd like to describe the B2C business. The B2B business is a different one. We specifically went into the B2B business because we thought, who, wh- who are the businesses that we don't want to, to, to compete with? Expedia and bookings. And yet we know the hotel business is a huge global opportunity and there needs to be uh, pockets or niches that we can compete, which are still massive by global standards and massive by Australian standards, and yet we don't run into them. And that's that's the that was one of the I still remember pitching this story back to the board in 2012 to say hotels are more profitable than selling air. Hotels on a global basis is about uh, 50 trillion times bigger than the Australian domestic air market. And uh, bookings and Expedia will win the, uh, the direct-to-consumer battle. Uh, we need to find a, 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 an opportunity and a new home in which we can compete effectively and have a chance to win. And then we established the B2B business in, and I still remember it, in February of 2013. And we sold... Um, uh, $13,000 of hotel rooms in February 2013. And by November 2013, that business was already breaking even and we were on track to do uh, north of uh, a couple of billion uh, pre- pre-pandemic. So it's been an incredible growth journey that we were on. And what we did do is, is this incredible thing happened when we entered the space and it changed our thinking. We, 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 we went in there knowing that it was, a, it was a competitive environment. There was about 10 people that were quite large in the space, but there were three very large players. And so what happened is the number one guy bought the number three guy, then the combined guys bought the number two guy, and then they elevated themselves from a, roughly a circa $3 billion each Aussie dollars, and then they became a $10 billion business. And then the next level down was a guy who was around about – uh, 500 million. So there's a huge gap between one and number two. And we were fast growing at the time. And then our strategy was, well, if they can do that, we can do that on a smaller scale and that will propel us into the number two position. And then if we're in the number two position, we think we can take margin as a consequence of all that. We can take costs out. We can simplify tech. We can have a, a, a unified platform. We can uh, compete more aggressively if we get scale. And that's what we did. And so as we thought about competition, we thought we want to be number two. And we got there. So we were the fastest growing uh, B2B business in the world. And we were the number two player in the world. And as I said, we we're, were turning over circa $2 billion, uh, pre-pandemic. Roll forward to late July 2021, our ambition is to be number one in the B2B business and everything that we've been focused on is number one. It's all about getting scale. It's all about taking costs out. It's all about for every dollar of bookings that we get is being able to do it as efficiently and effectively as possible and yet do it with a lower cost base than we've done historically. So that's how we think about competition. And the reason we like that industry is – we don't run into anyone who's more powerful than us in the sense that they may be bigger than us today, the number one player may be bigger than us today, but we have access to capital markets. We've had a great track record of delivery. When we've gone to our um, invest, when we've gone to the broadest investment community, even in the middle of a pandemic, they have supported us. So we've had a great track record and we feel confident that um, 
if strategic opportunities come along in this particular part of the of, of our ecosystem that we we compete in, that we could take advantage of them and close the gap to number one. So, to your investors, and I come back, is obviously there's a there's a, a, a thematic around you know is this a good business to invest in? Uh, I used to I used to pre pandemic say the following um, to to you know, predominantly uh, the, the the pointy end of town, the big end of town when we would uh, pitch our story uh, of the business, you're investing primarily in a B2B business that in Asia we can be the number one player. Well, I've, I've, I've expanded the thematic to you. If you're investing in Webjet, there's a there's an element of our share price that's the Webjet OTA, and that will always be important, especially in the recovery. You've seen that we can go back to a profitable OTA business even on a domestic business in Australia, which is great. And there's some value there, which uh, is reflected in the share price. But the upside value is reflected in, can we grow the B2B business? Can we be the biggest player in this market? Can we go from where we were to roughly three times larger than that at the margins that we spoke about? And if we did that, then the upside to, to us is, 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 is phenomenal. But that's a, a factor of time. That's not going to happen this year, and that's why I'm not focused on whether do, did you did you outsell your competitor by one one shekel more than them in the month of, of, of June of 2020. Doesn't really matter. It's where we're going to get to that's uh, going to drive value in the uh, in the medium to long term. And just as we think about uh, share price uh, movement and short term volatility, I'll, I'll never forget when I when I first started, the the share price was roughly uh, two bucks. And then we started trade. You know, the market really liked my appointment, so we started trading at about a dollar eighty uh, a couple of weeks later. And then um, for uh, and we were in that dollar eighty, dollar ninety band. And then one day we, we went to a dollar fifty. And I remember being in the office and talking to uh, the chief commercial officer and saying to her, "What do they know that I don't know?" What, what do they know? We've just had the record day of sales that we've ever had. We've made more money today than we have ever made in Webjet. And what does the market know that we don't know, that we've, that we've all of a sudden lost 20% of our value in one day? What do they know that we don't know? Oh, that's right. They don't know anything. So uh, keep calm. So, John, every time we get to speak to a CEO or a managing director, we love to ask a question about people and culture. So many of the expert investors that we've spoken to talk about how important it is, but yet as retail investors, it's the most difficult thing to gauge. You can't see it in an annual report. You can't see it in the financial statement. Um, so while we've got you, we, you know, you've got a massive company, spans the globe. Um, how do you think about leading such a big organization and so many people? Um, do you have a particular leader, leadership philosophy? Well, of course, and and it's, it's 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 partly driven by myself. So I'll tell you the things that are driven by me, and then the the things that the guys uh, in my in my management team and leadership team do an exceptional job at. Number one is the structure of our business. Uh, I am a, a firm believer, and as and I'll say, as supported by empirical evidence, I'm I'm not doing it as a matter of faith, but Everything I see about a decentralized organization versus a centralized organization suggests 
a decentralised organisation where decision-making is devolved as low as you possibly can into the organisation is going to be more successful than a centralised organisation. I've had, um, prior to, to working in Webjet, had the opportunity to, to work for lots of large businesses, predominantly in travel, and I, I, I took a view that I saw what I thought were the inefficiencies uh, of a head office mentality where you know, the, the joke is we're here from head office, we're, we're from head office, we're here to help and, um, and uh, no good deed goes unpunished because that's what a head office is for. So, you know, I, 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 I was part of that culture and I was part of that structure rather that drives culture and, 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 I, and, I, and I said if I ever had the chance to, to run my own organisation, I would do, do it entirely differently. So the structure is we have no head office. The only head office we have is um, we're, we're a Melbourne-registered um, ASX-listed company, so our company secretary and our finance, our centralised finance operations is based there. The Webjet OTA business is headquartered out of Melbourne. The, the, the Online Republic business is headquartered out of Auckland. The Webbeds business is is based out of Dubai, but it has substantial presence in uh, Spain, UK, Romania, Singapore, uh, and Americas. And each of those guys have their own country management. And what we've always encouraged is that people in market make decisions about the market because they know their customers and their suppliers better than a centralised approach. So if, I, if you reflect back when I talked about a little bit earlier about the competitive environment, how when everyone went the, the Google way, we went the building the brand way, we, we do that contrary to most travel businesses. Most travel businesses are centralised headquarters in a hub-and-spoke kind of a model where the, the spoke follows the instructions and executes against the hub. That's not how we operate. We try to give people devolved sense of responsibility. So what do we do? We provide rigorous budgeting and forecasting tools and then the execution of that becomes localised and people explain what they're doing but so that they don't go uh, completely crazy. But they certainly need to, 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 to have an ability to make decisions on the fly and we devolve as much responsibility as possible. In, a, in an environment like that, um, we try to encourage an element, and we touched on this earlier, where where the underdog punching above our weight. You know, I do I do the the, the joking reference. We're just humble travel agents who want to rule the world. It, it, it tries to to engender the sense that you know there's fun. You come to work to enjoy yourself. You come to work to uh, have a sense of camaraderie with your your, your colleagues and. Um, you come to work to win. So they're the, 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 the basis. And then, as I said, the management team and the, and the rest of the leadership um, take on the characteristics of, you know, compliance and characteristics of all the things you need to do to run a, a – to, to, to have an effective corporation and ensure that we do it, yet we do it in hopefully as light a touch as, uh, as possible without abrogating our responsibilities as good corporate citizens. And, you know, in general, we've tried to be innovative and, and, and leaders in, in all of those things. But what we don't do is follows. With the exception of talking to investors, as I am – through your vehicle, um, you know, we, we don't create a platform for ourselves. We don't 
project the CEO as a hero. We don't uh, go on panels. We don't make statements around politics and policy. Um, we are focused on our business and, and we think we know it better than most and we encourage everybody to, 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 to participate to the full extent that they can. Mm. Love that. Love that. Mm. Just humble travel agents trying to take over the world. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll call this episode. <laughs> True. Nice one. <laughs> yeah. So, John, just like we uh, like to start with a the same question every time, we do like to finish with the same uh, three questions. Before we get stuck into them, I just want to say a massive thank you for giving us your time. You know, I'm sure the Equity Mates community uh, will have loved listening to you, learning from you, and hearing more about the business. Um, so, yeah, just a massive thank you. But we'll get stuck into these final three questions. The first one is, what does the next 12 months hold for Webjet? Uh, what's what's in the product pipeline? Um, yeah, what, what's the next 12 months look like? Uh, again, we, we sort of, um, you know, I think it might be the first time or one of the few times we've mentioned the word COVID, but it's going to be COVID-dependent what uh, our next 12 months looks like. We're, we are more at the mercy than anyone else. The, the, and, and I imagine that 99% of your, uh, of, of your audience is, is Australian. Um, so the world is very different outside of Australia, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want to talk down to the audience, but the, the way that the rest of the world is planning to progress is substantially different to how Australia is planning to progress. So I'm, I'm in the Northern Hemisphere now. I, um, I travel regularly. I, in the last eight weeks, I have been to Dubai twice. I've been to Istanbul once, and I've been to Parma once. I will be going on holiday to Sicily in two weeks, uh, and I can travel because whilst COVID is significantly more prevalent in the community, the political aspirations in this part of the world is that we need to get on with our life, accepting that uh, we uh, we have we have gone down this path and it's been a, a, a horrific impact to uh, many people. And you know, you know I, I spend most of my time in, in Europe. Many lives have been lost and it's and it's been devastating for communities. But having said that, the the overwhelming sense of the majority of uh, people in this part of the world is that they want to get on and live their life to the, the full extent they can. And travel is a vital component of that, being able to, to, to spend time, especially in this context, with your loved ones, spend time with your friends, do things that are fun and, uh, and, and, and obviously have business meetings where you integrate face-to-face. As that continues to, as those restrictions continue to loosen in this part of the world, it's, it augurs well for our B2B business. And uh, we think there will be obviously substantial growth as that uh, happens. We will have an update at our annual general meeting on the 31st of August. We recently changed financial year end to 31st of March as opposed to June 30 to more align ourselves to what is uh, promptly, and we've touched on this many times, a a Northern Hemisphere-based business. And we don't want to interrupt the middle of our busiest period by focusing on audit requirements and and closing out the year. So we specifically did that to enhance the the growth prospects of the business. Um, I think the the next 12 months will be very positive for the B2B business. I think the next 12 months for the OTA business, um, 
will be positive, but we're in the middle of a lockdown, so it's pretty hard to, 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 to focus on anything about other than the next 30 days. But if we roll forward 12 months and the, the country becomes vaccinated and people accept that um, this is not going to go away and it's going to be part of our lives for the next uh, 10 years, so what are we going to do about it? You know, I would anticipate that the the international borders would open and there'll be a high degree of international travel. Domestic travel will come back as it was coming back until about six weeks ago, four weeks ago, full 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 throttle. And you've got a, a vibrant competitive landscape because you've got three viable competitors in the domestic marketplace. So all of that gives consumers choice, uh, which keeps prices down, which makes travel more affordable, which gives people the motivation incentive to continue to, to do that. And the fact that the vast majority of the globe has been denied that opportunity for the last 18 months. We suggest there will be a really significant rebound um, when markets do open up. And the timing of that is outside of my control, but we are well positioned that when it does occur, that we're uh, appropriately resourced to ensure that we maximise our, our share of that marketplace when it does come to fruition. Mm. Yeah, I can... I can definitely attest that there's a lot of people itching to start traveling again. So you you better have your website infrastructure up and running when we can. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like Black Friday in the travel industry. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll ramp up our infrastructure, our cloud investment just for you. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> So, uh, John, this second question I might specify uh, outside of COVID because I feel like we've spoken about COVID uh, enough. Um, so outside of COVID, uh, what is the biggest risk for your business right now? Uh, the, the the risk, and, and, and you sort of accidentally touched on it in your last sentence, the, the last comment, the, the, the biggest risk is always tech. We are a digital business. We're, we're, we, we have... Um, Millions of searches a day, tens of millions of searches a day. The thing I'm, you know, always the one that uh, keeps me up at night is is ensuring the tech works, and that that that's that's fundamental to the the premise of what we have. And the second one is what we already touched on as well is um, is the team motivated? Uh, are our employees, you know, I line up my team. I've got my my. In the old days, on a Thursday night, the, 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 the footy teams were selected and I line up my team and I, and I compare against their players on their team. Have I got the better players in my team? Are they in fine, using the, uh, the sporting analogy, are, are they in good form? Are they fit? Are they raring to go and will our class prevail? And making sure that we uh, have everybody aligned around our goals is, 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 is important and... Uh, and, you know, in an environment which I described to you, which is not the, the antithesis of command and control, which is decentralised, having faith that the, the, the management team, um, you know, two layers into the organisation can see the same objectives that you have. So the, the, making sure that that stays on track, they're the two things, people and tech, that, uh, that I focus on the most. And then final question, John, if you think about Webjet in 10 years, what does success look like? Uh, it'll be me still running the place on a walking frame as I come into the office on a, <laughs> on a, on a daily basis. That 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 would be a that would be a good good delineator. Uh, success for us in ten years' time would be as follows: 
we will have three successful travel divisions. At the moment, we have two. We have our, obviously our consumer-facing division with the, both the Online Republic and uh, Webjet. We have our B2B division and we'll have another one. And in our B2B division, we'll be the biggest players in, in, in the world. In our B2C division, we will be, um, we'll have extended our lead and in our New Zealand-based businesses of Online Republic, we will have uh, substantially increased um, our niche motorhomes and uh, car operations to, to be global players. And uh, that that would be what success would. That, that's what that's that's how I envision the next ten years that there will be another arm or another leg to the to the base added, and the the two businesses that we've had, which have got you know incredible blue sky opportunities we'll be able to fully capitalize on those and execute and uh and in particular be the number one in the b2b world you know that that means that we go from uh circa three billion aussie to 10 billion in ttv so that would be what success looks like in 10 years time Love it, John. Well, we have run out of time, but it's been an absolutely fascinating and enjoyable conversation with you today. So certainly appreciate your time. Um, and I know that so many in the audience will have taken so much value from everything that we discussed there. So always a, a pleasure to be able to um, access, you know, managing directors and CEOs. And we do very much appreciate your time. So um, thank you very much. Look, delighted. And thank you for the opportunity. And it's Great to see two young punks trying to uh, make a name for themselves. And I wish you every success and uh, you're providing uh, a valuable service. So keep it up. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. EquityMates Investing Podcast is a product of EquityMates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.